All right, this is the portion of the night where we're turning it over to y'all to ask questions. Um, you got five men up here that you've heard from at some point in time this weekend or otherwise. So um, a wealth of knowledge up there, not so much over here, mostly over there. Um, ask away. So if anybody has a question, you're going to raise your hand. I'm going to come to you with the microphone, and I'm going to put the microphone in your face, and you're going to ask the question. All right? So looks like we had one question over here. No, it looked like you. Okay. Anybody got a question? All right. Oh, I was going to. All right, Josie. Where were Adam and Eve in their life when they ate of the tree? Like, did they have any kids, or do we know? If they had That's a great question. <laughs> Next. <laughs> John Calvin said, where the Bible makes an end of speaking, we should too. So the Bible doesn't tell us, unfortunately. So we don't know. I could speculate, but that would not take, be taking Calvin's advice. But that's the answer. We really, we, we don't know. Some, some say it was the day after, right? And the reason they say it's the day after is because in the Jewish law, circumcision was performed on the eighth day, which was a sign of being cut off from God. And so they said, well, the reason that was is because Adam and Eve were cut off from God on the eighth day. But, uh, you know, I think that's a fair reasoning, but Scripture doesn't say for sure either way. Yes, but it is a good question. Okay. Since some of these people may not know, you state your name and then the question. JT, and what do you think life would have been like without if like Adam and Eve wouldn't have ate from the tree? Perfect. <laughs> um, I've never experienced a perfect life, so I don't know that I could describe it for you. I know it would involve um, no sin, no pain and suffering, perfect com communion with God. That is a good question, but I think it's important also to know that because of our sin, we would have been unaware of God's goodness and how great he is to us that he did redeem us from that sin. Our knowledge of our sinfulness brings glory to God in him saving us. So, but yes, it would have been perfect, but in that we are we see the goodness and glory of God in our sin and his redemption. Well, and that specifically, that's something the Bible says that angels look on and they are dumbfounded. They're, they're so amazed by the fact that God would redeem sinful mankind. And so we get to experience, the angels are living communion with God, but they don't get to experience the redemption that we've get to experience. And that's something that they look on with awe that, wow, what an amazing thing that God would do this. And so, yeah, there's a certain, a certain sense in which it would be better without sin, but in another sense, we get to experience an aspect of God's character, most notably his grace, because of our sin. Does that make sense? That doesn't make sin a good thing, but it makes God's grace an even greater thing. 
Yeah, I agree with all that. And just to add, like, we're not, God's goal was not he created man in the garden, said this is, this is plan A, and then that was messed up, and then he's trying to get us back to the garden. Like, that, that's not what the gospel is about. Um, it's our, our eternal state is going to be better than it was in the garden because of the things that these guys have said. And you know who planned it that way? God did. Y'all don't have to clap after every question. Yeah. In fact, we would discourage it. Okay. Um, if Satan is in hell, how is he still able to tempt us to, do, to go against God? Say that again. If Satan is in hell, how is he still able to tempt us against God? He's not there yet. So he, he's ruling and reigning over, uh, over the earth now, but under the sovereign plan of God, right? But there is coming a day at the end of, uh, thank you, at, at the end of redemptive history where, yes, he, he, will, uh, he will suffer the final defeat. He, he will be thrown into to the lake of fire. And so that day is coming, but right now he, he is, he's not omnipresent, meaning he's not everywhere, but but. He does have temporary rule and reign over the over the, the the kingdom of this world, right? And so that that's a really that's a great question. That's a that's a good one. Appreciate well, and it's good to remember too that um, Satan is not like God's opposite, right? Like like he said just a second ago, Satan's not omnipresent. Satan can't be everywhere at once. The fact is is that if Satan is tempting me, he cannot be tempting anyone else because he can only be in one place at one time. Does that make sense? And so. Um, there's that. We have to keep that in mind. But also, um, we're mostly tempted not by Satan, but by our own sinful desires. The fact is, is that we have a sin nature, and because we have a sin nature, we want to sin. The example that I like to use is the example of like an herbivore and a carnivore. You know what an herbivore is, right? An herbivore eats plants. Nerd, yeah, no, a nerdivore is something else. No, an herbivore eats plants, right? So if I put a 12-ounce steak in front, of an er- in front of an herbivore, does it have a choice to eat the steak? Yes, it does. It does have a legitimate choice to eat that steak. The question is, will it eat the steak? The answer is no, because the choice that it makes is in accordance with its nature. Its nature is to eat plants. And so in the same way, we have a legitimate choice to sin or to not sin. But we have a sin nature, so we act in accordance with our nature. We make choices in accordance with our nature. So we choose sin all the time because we're sinners. Does that make sense? So I had a question. Um, what is Sheol? Is Sheol hell? If so, why is it sometimes referred to as Sheol and sometimes hell? I was just wondering. Thank you. Another great question. <laughs> you, may look, you may go now. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a very deep question. There are some differences between hell and Sheol. I'd, 
going to be honest, I, I don't know all the intricacies between what's different and what's not. Sheol is uh, understanding Sheol as sort of an Old Testament equivalent of hell is a fair understanding. But there is, theologically, there is a difference. If that makes sense. Does anybody smarter than me want to? Oh, don't say that. No. <laughs> I was just going to say, calling it Abraham's bosom just clears it up completely. Like, if that answers your question. <laughs> so, in other words, why don't we just let that one, let that one die? I will say this. Um, um, there, again, and, and there's disagreement. There's not really a strong consensus as far as exactly what it means. But um, a lot of people believe that before Christ came, the dead were all kept in one place. Um, it wasn't heaven. It wasn't hell. They were all kept in one place until Christ came to redeem them. Um, but those who were Old Testament saints, such as Abraham, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom, which was sort of separate from the rest of those who were dead and suffering, if that makes sense. Um, and you, you read a story of this in, uh, is it Luke's gospel? What do we read of the rich man and Lazarus? Yeah. I, again, there's not consensus uh, uh, exactly uh, what it is. But anyways, so essentially it was the place of the dead before Christ came. And when Christ came, he essentially redeemed all those who were the Old Testament saints, and the rest of them will be sent to hell one day. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Okay. Okay. Does that, does that answer your question or clear anything up? Okay. I have another one. Clear as mud. I'll have another question, but I'm going to let some other people go. Do we have evidence that we all would have been vegetarians if sin hadn't entered the world? No, we don't have evidence. I will say this, that just like we talked about with, without sin entering the world, we wouldn't understand fully grace and mercy and the forgiveness of God. I think the same time is that Without sin entering the world, we wouldn't fully understand the goodness of God either because there is nothing gooder than a steak in front of you. So, uh, Cooked, but, medium, rare. Yeah, medium, rare. Lydia, or yeah. rare. I think Randy also mentioned today in to Adam he told them that they could have every plant and was food for them and Noah he opened up the animals to him post flood that would be the only evidence we would have again but it's you know sin did enter the world and so the mandate the 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 um allowance of us eating meat is given so but I don't know how you have paradise like you said without steak so maybe maybe you just didn't have to kill animals maybe the steak grew on trees that's a tree of life that's a tree of life amen <laughs>
When Satan got kicked out of heaven, wasn't that a sin? No, no, no. When, because of, yeah, was the reason Satan got kicked out of heaven? Wasn't that a sin? Like him being. Was the reason that Satan got kicked out of heaven his uh, a sin that he committed? Is that is that right? Yes. 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 Next question. No. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Elaborate. <laughs> Elaborate. Sin is acting contrary to God's law and his character. So if Satan is acting contrary to God's law and his character, yes, I think that would be considered sin. Yes, please. I think Emma's question is a timeline question. Was that before Adam and Eve's sin? Yes, it was. Hey, that wasn't one word. <laughs> so does sin enter the world? If he was tempting humans, that was... As far as the timeline goes, John Piper has... I've heard him say that he has no problem understanding why Adam and Eve sinned. The difficulty for us is why did Satan fall? And that's, that is a difficult question for us to answer. And I think we talked about it earlier. The outcome of this life is we can rest assured that is the outcome that most glorifies God. There's not an outcome that would have been more glorious. The, the reality that we live up to this point and in the future is the one that will most glorify God. That's the reality of this life. I, I know that answer is not very satisfying and it's not very, it doesn't, it doesn't actually clear, clear anything up, just makes it more confusing. Um, but Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that he has revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. And so often we have questions that simply God did not answer, um, such as why did Satan, why did Satan fall? Why did he sin? What, um, yeah, we, 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 don't, we don't really have clear answers to that. And at that point, we have to, we have to, we're kind of confronted with a choice. Okay, we can speculate Right? We can make something up. Um, we can get frustrated because God didn't answer the questions that I have. Or, um, kind of as we've been talking about, we can have faith that, like, okay, what God has given us, the things he has revealed to us are sufficient. And if God did not reveal this to us, then that's not something we need to know. And so I'm just going to trust that I don't need to have that answer. Does that make sense? I know, again, I know that doesn't, that doesn't satisfy the question. That doesn't make it, okay, well, okay, cool, that now I'm not curious. No, that just makes you more curious. But, um, but at the end of the day, we can rest assured that we have everything we need. God has given us everything we need. And what he hasn't given us, it's because we don't need it. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I don't really know how to ask this. 
But this goes back to the topic of when how Satan is not in hell right now. Um, so when we die, and we either like go up or down, you know. Um, so do we go there before him? Like I don't, I don't, I don't. You saying if you're unsaved, do you get? Because yeah. like, are we getting sent there before <laughs> Satan? Yeah. In a way, because he's not there now. So that's tough. Uh, that is tough. So here, here's the deal: is that throughout church history, that has been a, a, it's been thought through, it's been talked through about what what happens when we die, right? As Christians, what happens? Um, we what we do know is to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Now, you know, depending on what you believe about end times, about theology and doctrine, and this is super deep. Your question is not something we can answer in even 30 minutes of fully going into it. But, but what we do know is that it's appointed once for man to die in the judgment. We know that. And we know that, that to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. It's kind of one of those things where there have been major theologians who have talked about, you know, that Christians go to heaven because Heaven, as we understand it right now, is, is temporary, right? There's a new heaven and new earth coming, a new creation coming at the end of Revelation, depending on, again, theology. But, um, and, and some have also said that hell is a temporary place too. It's, it's kind of those who die without Christ go to hell for now because that's not, that's not final. We know that because in Revelation, it tells us that hell is cast into the lake of fire. So, so the lake of fire is, is kind of the eternal, the eternal part of, um, of eternity without Christ. And then new creation would be the eternal, the eternal part for, for Christians. Now, that is like Reader's Digest version of something that I worked through the past year at the church. So it, it took us a year to work through that. So... It, it, but that's a deep theological question. It's a great question, but there's not like, it's not like you're going to find that there's one consensus that everybody believes. It's like, it's kind of like that, that mystery part, this, the secret things. There are things that we know. There are things that we know from revelation. There are things that we know from the rest of scripture, but there are also things that we don't know. And so we just, I know that he went to it a minute ago, but, but there are certain things that we, we we take in faith, just like he said. And then there are other things that we know for sure because God has said them. And we have to be careful not to come along and, and fill in the gaps where God has left gaps for us, right? Because it's just like we said from Second uh, Peter 1, we, we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And what we do know is that when we have genuine faith in Jesus, when we die, we, we are we are where we need to be. We are content. We are experiencing the reality of eternal life, though not in new creation yet, for whatever that's worth, you know? And, and we know that when those without Christ die, that they are, that, that that's, that's final for them too, that they're experiencing at least at whatever level judgment. Yeah, and these are, these are good questions, but I, I would want to encourage you this way. Um, the moment that we are glorified, 
you will, every question that has been asked tonight, you will perfectly understand and have a grasp on. But there's one thing that you will wonder in awe and amazement and still be a great mystery to you, even in your glorified state, forever and ever and ever. Can anybody guess what that is? God, but especially the gospel. The gospel. And so... All of those questions, they're, they're going to be sorted out. The answer may be underwhelming to you. It may be overwhelming to you. I'm not sure what those answers are going to be. But the gospel will never exhaust its wonder and its riches. Like we just sang earlier, the glories of his grace will sing forevermore. And, and we sing the song that says, come behold the wondrous mystery. We'll, we'll never exhaust the wonders of that mystery. And, and there are great mysteries with that, that we've talked about this weekend. Like Paul even said, when he was talking about marriage, he said, this is a great mystery, but I'm saying it, it refers to Christ and the church. Husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. Now that's a mystery. Let's, let's spend a lifetime pondering that one and looking into that. What does that look like in my everyday life, loving my wife like Christ loved the church? So I just wanted to kind of encourage y'all. I'm not discouraging you from asking weirdo questions, but I do want to encourage you to, to press into, you know, in, into the, what are really the deeper things? Because like eschatology and all that, those are, that's light stuff. The deep stuff is the gospel. And so let's press into that and love that and wonder and revel and ponder that. Okay, so my mom tells me all the time, you know, if you're going to screw up, I'd rather you come clean and just admit it and not, you know, try to lie and play it off or whatever. So do y'all think if Adam and Eve would have, you know, like you said, not played the blame game and just owned up to it, do we think the punishment would have been any less? So I tend to think that death was always in the cards for Adam. And what the, the first Adam was supposed to do what the second Adam did. When his wife sinned, he was supposed to die on her behalf, right? He was supposed to lay his life down for his wife, and he didn't. Um, and so, you know, I think that had the first Adam done what the second Adam did, I don't know that there would have been need for punishment. Does that make sense? And so the, the reason, so, I mean, but part of the reason, part of the reason for their failure was, number one, they didn't take responsibility for it, Right? What did Eve say? Well, it's the serpent, and he tempted me. And what did Adam say? Well, it was the woman. And not only did he blame Eve, but he blamed God. It's the woman that you gave me, right? Um, and so rather than, um, rather than take the responsibility that the second Adam did, right? Because the second Adam was perfect, right? He lived the perfect life. He perfectly obeyed the law. He, had, he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And what did he do? 
He laid his life down for the sake of his people. Um, and so part of the reason all of us are born with a sin nature is because the first Adam didn't do what he was supposed to. The first Adam did not do. And part of the reason we needed Christ was because we needed a second Adam who would actually do what was, what was supposed to. So, so the question is, is like, do you think this punishment would have been any less? I don't, I don't necessarily know how to answer that question, but I do, I do think that regardless of what Eve did, death was in the cards for Adam and he should have laid down his life for his wife, but he didn't. And so because of that, he did die. And not only that, but death spread to all men. Does that make sense? I don't know if that necessarily answers your question, but it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. What two trees do we know about that was there? What were the two trees that we were given the names of in the garden? The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Which one was forbidden to eat from? Knowledge of good and evil. So there was a reason for that. They were able to eat freely from the tree of life. But the knowledge of good and evil, well, evil is no thing. Evil is the absence of good. And God had declared to that point everything was good. But they didn't know the difference because everything was good and evil is no thing because it is the absence of good. And maybe let me help this is there's a, a beautiful picture of, again, we've mentioned the first Adam, our first parents, and the second Adam, which is Christ. The first Adam failed. Eve ate of the tree and she gave to her husband. But Adam's sin was he did not do what he was mandated to do, and that is protect his wife from the serpent. He should have stood in the gap where the, uh, the serpent was trying to tempt her and answered, yes, God has really said, do not eat of this tree and cast him out. But he didn't. He failed in his mandate. So they're in the garden and they're cast out. Well, when they're cast out, they, the tree of life was guarded by cherubim as they were cast out. The second Adam, and here's the beauty. We always ask, why, was the woman the, why were the women the first one at the tomb? that resurrection morning. There's a lot of reasons, but I think there's a beautiful picture there. The, the second Adam, the woman was there, and the second Adam did what the first Adam should have done, and she was the first to see. There's an angel there, and he said, you're looking for Jesus. He's not here for he's risen. The tree of life was opened by the work of Christ. Therefore, the second Adam reversed what the first Adam failed to do, and the woman was there. She, the women were there the first to see that. There's beautiful gospel pictures throughout all of Scripture. It's not happenstance. Pastor Tim jokes often that there's, it's almost humorous language in the Bible when they talk about they just happen to be there. There's no such thing. Everything is ordained and ordered by God. But that's, so that's, you know... It's a long way from what you asked, but there's, there's beauty. It's not just that Adam ate or that, that, that they sinned, but what Christ has done reverses those things, and it's a beautiful picture of God's love for us. I'll just say this. The, we, what we know of the Scripture is that the wages of sin is death. That, that, that's always been true, right? 
just, just because Paul pins it in Romans, it's, it's still always in the case. So I think what, what you're saying is absolutely true that regardless, death was on the table because it was either that Adam give his life uh, as, a, as the sacrifice in that situation or that he didn't, which we know brought, brought death to all of creation. So I, I do think that death was on the table. So the short answer to your question is that the punishment doesn't change. The, 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 sin, the, the, the debt that is owed for sin is, all, is, is death. I mean, you, it, and it just so happens that it's it, eternal in nature, meaning that it's spiritual death, but also that physical death. So I think death, like, is, it was on the table. Um, thank you for your time, gentlemen. Um, it's not over. Sorry, I'm not, like, closing it. Uh, so I have a question. You're going to have to stick with me, all right? Because I don't know if this is actually, like, written in. Well, I'm not going to say written, but I don't know if this is actually a part of Bible theology. But I've heard many names associated with the character of Lucifer, Satan, the devil, whoever you want. And I, I want to know why there are different names, like there's Asmodeus, Beelzebub, Lucifer, Satanus. Like, what is the difference between all of those characters and, and their parts in history? That is a great question. I, let me, I'll, I'll answer with, them, with more. Uh, what we have to look at is what are the, what are the what do those names mean, right? Because that's, that's what is being given to us, right? Just like, I mean, the name of Jesus, it means something. Just like Satan and De- all of those names that are given, they are communicating and expressing the characteristics of Satan, right? So, so we know that he's a deceiver. Why? Because he, not only is he, he called that, but his actions verify that. So it's almost like he is named in line with his characteristics. Just like, I mean, for example, if, if you're a dirt bag and someone calls you a dirt bag, right? You, okay, that, that's an expression of your character. It's just like all the other names in scriptures. I mean, scripture, the, the names that are given to people are given intentionally. I mean, God, God I mean, and this is just true because God is sovereign. The, the name that you have is given by your parents, but, but God sovereignly ordained that. I mean, that's, that's what it means for him to be sovereign overall. And so when it comes to the scripture, we see names given and they're always intentional. Just, I mean, that's, that's just how it works. That's what the way God orchestrated this in his economy. And I think it's true of Satan, just like I think it's true of, of God himself, right? All right, so I got three. Do I need to wait? Or you want me to like? Go ahead and ask one. And then okay. depending upon how quick we answer it, and if anyone else has any other questions, we'll let you ask your, ne- your, ne- your next ones. Okay, so um, the thing, like, you know how you, someone asked, like, if, how would the world would be if, like, Adam and Eve didn't sin? 
What do you think? Do you think that if Adam and Eve didn't sin, that there would be another person who would who would sin? Does that make sense? I like. If it like if failed. it wasn't if it wasn't Adam and Eve, would it have been somebody else? Yes. You think? Okay. It would have. <laughs> okay. Um, do you think food there was like in the Garden of Eden? Do you think it was better than the food is now? Uh, yeah, I, th- I tend to think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ma- mainly because, um, you know, to be fair, like a lot of the food we eat now is not even really food. <laughs> yeah, McDonald's is a great example of, of that very thing. Yeah, you remember? Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, yeah but it, and so the food, the food was pure. It was untainted by, you know, sin, meaning that there was no like nothing wrong with the food. You know what I mean? Nowadays, you get uh, decay, you get pesticides, you get, um, you know, mutant fruits, you know, all sorts of crazy things that make the food taste bad. Yeah, or you get McDonald's, which doesn't decay. At the end of the world, there will be cockroaches, Velveeta cheese, and Big Macs. And yeah. Twinkies. Twinkies will still be there, too. Yeah. And the thing that I would remind you of is from Genesis chapter 3, right? When, when God is divvying out the curses, one of the things that we talked about is the thorns and thistles, right? What, what you have is before creation, everything is very good. And God has created it in his perfect economy. And so things are, are without sin. And what happens when sin enters the world is that it's, it's not just Adam and Eve that feel the effects of sin. It's not just Satan. It's literally all of creation, right? So, I mean, you have the lion laying down with the lamb. That, that's a picture of sort of what exists within the garden. But then after sin enters the world, that, you know, you have, you have death and you have even creation itself rebelling against, uh, rebelling against mankind. And so, yeah, it was, it was good. It was vegetarian. Good. I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm sure I'll love it in heaven. But I also love steak still, but, you know. And bacon. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you for lifting that. Can I, that? Can I ask the last one? Huh? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, okay. this one's kind of weird, but I'm asking it anyways. Um, so, after, like, the fall or whatever, uh, Jesus or God cursed him and was like, for dust you are, dust you will turn. So that means, like, they die, obviously. So how did, like, Eve know when Adam was dead? Because they ever experienced death before. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know. That's a good question. What's wrong with you people? Well, <laughs> did everyone hear her question? Like, her question was, how did Eve know that Adam was dead? Because they didn't know what death was. They had never experienced it before. Don't break my microphones. Like when he died physically? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, but, but that is a great question. I think That's true. Yeah. The, the, they, they, the, although they had not seen one another die, they certainly understood death because Cain killed Abel, right? And so yeah. they, and they, and they understood death because God killed an animal to clothe them. So they have some idea of what it means to take, to, for life to be taken. Now, uh, did she check his pulse? I, I don't know. But they at least have some, they've, she has experienced it at some level, right? And, and at least has some idea of it. 
So, but great question. Somebody else ask something quick, please. Yeah. Don't give her the mic back. No, yeah, 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 yeah. That was just that was just the example. Yeah. But either way, right? Either way, the question. <laughs> either way, that, that that's a great question. That's good. You got to push the little slider up to where it's green right here. Is there a green light down here? Okay. Just came back home. <laughs> I thought I broke the microphone for a second. Okay. Why do the like the worldly things seem more in your face like this at this time than like a couple years ago? She, she, she asked, why, did, why do the worldly things now seem so much more in your face than they did two years ago? Uh, be, because, because the church, by and large, has failed to speak the life of the gospel into the culture, right? By and large, what the church has done is the church has bowed down to the pressures of the world instead of standing firm in the faith that has been given to us through Christ. And so the reason the world is in the state that it's in is because the church honestly hasn't been faithful with our mission and our task, right? We've sort of, we've sort of said out loud, well, we need to fulfill the great commission, right? We need to go and, and make disciples of all nations. But then what we do is we try to find every way to do that without doing it. And the natural result of that of the church not being what God has called her to be, the result of that is that, that instead of the light of the gospel shining through into the culture, the culture and, and its depravity and sinfulness shines through the world. And so we have to be the city on the hill that can't be hidden. We have to be the beacon and the light. And we just have not been uh, as faithful as God has called us. That's right. Yeah. The, um, you know, Jesus said, yeah, you're the light of the world. Mm -hmm. Well, what does light do? It scatters darkness, right? You turn on the light and then the darkness goes away. Well, what happens if you don't have light? Darkness creeps back in. He also said, you're the salt of the earth. Well, what is salt good for? We know it's good for flavoring things, right? I like salty things, but it's also a preservative. You know, back in the day, they didn't have refrigerators. How did they keep their meat? Well, they salted it. That's how they preserved the meat. And what happens if you take the salt away? things decay. Yeah. Th th things corrode. Things, things get worse and worse and worse. And so just like he was saying, what you see is you see, um, what we see in our culture now is salt not being salty. And Jesus said, if, it, if it's salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be trampled under the foot of man. And that's what we're seeing right now. And so you're seeing, um, not just, um, the church losing its influence, but you also see the cultural decay getting worse and worse and worse. Does that make sense? Brad. <laughs> just, just give her a 10-second clock, right? Okay. Okay, so the question I have is to follow up on what Ethan said and the way that you answered, Drew, because it confused me, so I'm wondering it might confuse some of the younger ones as well. When you said that Adam should have been the sacrifice or laid his life down for Eve, 
So the first, was there a sacrificial system then? I know the first sacrifice was the animal to clothe them. I'm confused by what you say, he should have laid his life down for her. Like, where are you drawing from that? Not that he should have How should he have life. known that? Well, yeah, the, the, like, the reason I say that is because that was exactly what the second Adam had to do. The second Adam had to lay his life down for his bride, for the sake of the church. And so my point was, is that for Adam, right? Um, whether he sinned and then died or he laid his life down for his wife and died, death was always on the table for him. Death was always in the cards for Adam. He should have. That was his job as the, as the man, as the protector and the provider. It was his job to protect his wife and to provide for his wife and to protect his wife by laying his life down for her. Yeah. Does, that, does, does that make sense? I, Why? Let me, let me say maybe this will help. No, 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 no. First of all, he should not have sinned. And when God came looking for them, he should have said, my wife sinned, let me lay down my life for her. Right? I'm not saying he should have gone, oh, my wife sinned. Right? That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that we see throughout all of Scripture, we see throughout all of Scripture that in order for sin to be atoned for, something has to die. And that's the whole point of the sacrificial system is to demonstrate to them that something has to die. And like he said, the wages of sin is death. The wages of our sin is our death. We deserve to die because of sin. And so, but the reason we don't have to die is because somebody died in our place. And so my point was, is that Adam, as the man, as the first Adam, he should have done what the second Adam did. And he should have voluntarily laid his life down as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of his wife. But he did not. He did not do that. Instead, he sinned himself and then blamed his wife and blamed God for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. I, yeah. yeah. I, I get what you were saying now. There was no sacrificial system. So what was he supposed to do? No. He I should have voluntarily given himself in the place of his wife. My wife deserves to die. Let me die in her place. Yeah. That's what he should have done. I think it's built, too, in, into the order of creation. This idea, remember that Eve is created as the suitable helper, right, as the helpmeet. And so she's the one to come alongside him uh, and serve uh, in God's creation. And so Adam, and I think this is fleshed out, like you were saying, it's fleshed out through the rest of Scripture, but, but it, it's still always been true, right? It wasn't like when we get to the New Testament and everything is written down, now it's true. No, it, all the things we have written in the New Testament have always been true, Right? Because, because it's not like God in the first century just decided, hey, I, I need, Paul, I need you to write this. Before the foundation of the world, God had already, his, his work already was. It just hadn't been, it hadn't come to us yet. And so, but I think in that creative order that, that what we see going forth from the New Testament is that, that under, and I hope this doesn't get me in trouble. I don't really know where you guys are on this, but um, under male headship and, and the reality that, um, that men do bear the responsibility, the God-given responsibility of caring for, protecting both physically and spiritually uh, the family that God has entrusted to them. I think it's a fulfillment of the mandate. And if, if Adam would have stepped in, I don't think that Adam, like he said, it's not that Adam would have killed himself, but he certainly if he was acting in accordance with, with God's economy, he would have, instead of saying the woman you gave me, he would have said, God, God, 
if she has sinned, she, and he would have refrained, God, she has sinned, and, and, or she's, she's naked and ashamed, right? There's something that's changed about her. And God, God, I know that, that now something is marred in creation. Something's wrong. And, and, and the result, like he said, regardless, the, the, the punishment is death. And so it just, it, it, would, it was going to happen. Someone was going to pay that debt, that, that, that debt of death. And, but it's, that's tough. I mean, that's, you're talking really, really deep theological things, really the whole of scripture and understanding the whole of scripture and looking to the things that are hard to understand in scripture in light of the whole text, right? And so those are, those are important things for us to think about in light of everything that God has said. And so I think we have to be careful to do that. Yeah, um, my mind totally went blank. <laughs> my mind's totally mush right now. Now, um, one of the things is I was, I was going to draw out again as, as we're looking at kind of the eternal, been talking about the eternal state and um, Garden of Eden is one of the, like, Gabby kind of talked about a question, you know, if, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, would somebody else have sinned? And the answer is yes. And, and some people might ask the question, well, what if God had just cleaned the slate and given Adam and Eve a second chance? And that would just been a second chance to disobey because they would have disobeyed again. Um, and that's what makes heaven so, or the eternal state so wonderful and about us being um, fully conformed to the image of Christ is Christ never did. Christ never gave in to a temptation. And it, it says in Revelation that in that, in that eternal place that we dwell with God, that sin will never enter that place and that we will not even have the possibility to sin. See, in, in Eden, there's the possibility of it because they did it. And that, when I think about the eternal state and, and being with Christ forever, that's one of the, the best things that you think about is that there will not even be the possibility to sin. So, um, Lucifer clearly sinned whenever he turned against what God said and brought one-third of the demons with them. So he had the chance to sin. Okay, um, so do all the angels now still have the choice to sin, all angels in heaven, um, because Lucifer and his angels were able to sin? And if they are able to sin, how are they living in heaven since God cannot live with sin? That is a great question. So to, so, so to answer your question, to be clear, to be clear, um, number one, I, I don't know that there's really 
a definitive answer to your question. So let me make that clear on the front end. Um, number two, there's a difference between the possibility of being able to sin and actually sinning, right? God cannot be in the presence of sin. And he's not in the presence of sin. Now, can the angels that are with him now, can they sin? I, don't, I have no clue. I don't know. I don't know if they can or if they can't. I, I know that some did at one point in time. But can more angels sin now? I have, no, I have no idea. That's not really a question that we can answer. But God is not in the presence of sin because up until this point, at least, these angels have not sinned even though there might be the possibility that they could. Does that make sense? But I don't know if that possibility exists or not. Yeah, and God, you know, we know this for sure. Um, God is all-powerful and sovereign, and he can keep all those angels from sinning if it is his sovereign will and good will to do so. We know that for sure, um, which goes back to angels that did sin, God was not responsible for their sin, but it was a part of his plan. So does that, (laughs) we didn't even make a dent, did we? (laughs) Anybody else? No? Okay. 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 So will there be age in heaven? Like, will we all be a certain age? Yes, we will all be a certain age. <laughs> if the question is what age is that, I don't know. We'll be some age. <laughs> 35. Um, honestly, I think it goes back to what does the Bible say, and it's, it doesn't. Our bodies will be different. So age will be irrelevant at that point in heaven. So I, I would say it won't. It, it's not even an issue, and the Bible really is silent on it. Other than our our redeemed bodies, our eternal bodies will be so different, and uh, in the eternal state, age will not be. It, it's it's it won't be necessary. Yeah, there won't be time. Will not be like it is now. There will be no. Um, there will be no darkness, you know, uh, Christ himself will illuminate all things for eternity. So time as we experience it now, as far as minutes, hours, days, weeks, seasons, uh, that's going to be different. So even if you could ascribe an age to it, it would be irrelevant, like Brad said. Uh, okay, it's on. Um, so the demons that fell with Lucifer, can they repent and become like angels again or whatever? Or no. Or do they not get second chances? They cannot. Okay. That's part of the reason the angels look, look, look at the gospel in awe is because there was no plan of redemption for those fallen angels. And Cortland wanted me to ask if Adam and Eve had belly buttons. <laughs> Yeah. We'll meet outside afterwards. You ask one of the questions. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. All right. 
I think we're ready to wrap it up. Anybody else? If I may, real quick, y'all have asked some, some very good questions. Um, however, they have been a little bit off topic, if, if I can be honest. And that's fine. You know, we definitely want to, I love answering these types of questions. But I did want to just give one more chance to ask, does anyone have any questions related to biblical manhood and womanhood, since there haven't been a whole lot of questions on that front? Like I said, we love answering these types of questions, and I like thinking through these types of things. You can come ask me these questions anytime. Hey. Um, so where in the Bible, just for like me, where in the Bible does it say, like, does it, in the Bible, does it lay out like certain standards, I guess, for like biblical leadership, like as a man? And where, just for me? Yes. Where? Just two questions throughout. <laughs> if you're asking if there's a list, if there's a list in the Bible that says, here's what a good leader is and goes through the list. No, there is no such list. But does the Bible give you a holistic picture of what a godly leader is? Yes. Does the Bible give you a holistic picture of what a godly male leader is? Yes. Does the Bible give you a, a picture of what a godly woman leader is? Yes, it does. Um, and some of that's difficult because we would like it to be systematically laid out for us. I like to go to, you know, list chapter 13 and read the list about what a godly, you know, son does. And then I'd like to go to chapter 15 to read what a godly father does. And then the chapter 12 to read what a godly husband does. But that's just not the way the Bible's written. And again, um, those of you who go to church here, we've talked about typology in the scripture before, right? We see, right, typologically, specifically, we see typology as it refers to Christ throughout the scripture. And we see that typology played out in many different ways. We see it played out in similarities, right? David was a king. Jesus is also a king, right? Moses was a prophet and a leader of his people. Jesus is a greater prophet, leader of his people. We see typology in the contrasts, right? Um, David sinned. He was a sinful king, but Jesus is not a sinful king. He's a perfect king, right? Moses was a, a good leader, but he failed at many points, Jesus will never fail as the leader of his people. Um, and then you see typology from the lesser to the greater, right? David was a great king, the greatest king Israel ever had until Christ, right? Christ is the greater king. So we see even from the lesser to the greater. And so you see, to answer your question, when it comes to standards of leadership, when it comes to standards of manhood and womanhood, you do see it kind of laid out in, in a similar way, right? We can look at the contrast. We can see, I can look at the scriptures and I can see what sinful husbands did. And I can go, I should not be that. And I can look at examples of godly husbands and say, I should be that. Right. Does that make sense? And so again, it's not as simple as where's the list, but throughout all of scripture. And that's why we cannot neglect any part of scripture. That's why people who avoid certain books of the Bible, it's really not a good idea because all of the Bible was given to us for our edification and for equipping us for every good work, including what it means to be a godly man and a godly woman. There, um, it's not it, what, you know, what Drew said is, is really good. It's, it's more than a list, but it's certainly not less than, um, a list. And there, we do have some lists in the Bible. Um, and, uh, let's see, this is first Timothy three. Now this, these are qual this is a list of qualifications for essentially a pastor or a leader in the church. 
Now, there's nothing in here that is different, God's call, that would be different for any Christian man. Nothing, really, other than maybe apt to teach. Um, but, but you absolutely have to be these things in order to be a pastor. But these are all things that any man should look at and say, I, I, I pray, Lord, please help me work these things in me, okay? Um, and here's, here's, here's the list. Um, you must be ab- above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So the only one different in that, you know, is the able to teach. Any Christian man should look at that list and say, this is, this is God's calling on my life. But even when it comes to being able to teach, you got to be a priest in your own home. You have to be able to teach your family and to be able to lead your family. And how can I lead my family if I can't properly communicate to them and teach them what's right and what's wrong? And so, yeah, the qualifications might differ slightly, right? You don't have to be able to teach in front of, you know, 50 people, 100 people, 1,000 people. But you do need to be able to teach the people in front of you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, he also must be good at passing a microphone to his neighbor. So Drew's disqualified from that. He just hit me in the hand. Um, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Uh, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And so, and it goes on and, and says some other things too, but that's, does that give you like that? That's some things to look at. It's kind of, you know, hey, is this, um, is God working these things in my life? Are these, are these you know, the, all of these are manifestations of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in somebody's life. You know, through the Spirit, you look at every one of these things, and they could be tied to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. And loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. Like, all of those things, you know, you look at it, and, like, they're, they're, that's the manifestation of those things. So, And just to be clear, when you're reading the Bible, I'm going to give you a little pro tip. When you're reading the Bible, a good method of interpretation is to interpret the less clear things in light of the very clear things. Does that make sense? For instance, I have heard people say things like, David was a man after God's own heart, and David had many wives. Therefore, I can have many wives. I mean, that's a fair interpretation until you get to the more clear things and you read, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? And so, okay, now we have a clear thing to interpret the less clear thing. So David was a man after God's own heart, but does that give you a pass to do the things that he did? Absolutely not. We interpret the less clear things in light of the clear things. Does that make sense? Sure.
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the question was, are there any other resources? Obviously, your, the Bible being the most important one. And if you are reading your Bible and you don't understand it, getting something like a study Bible or a commentary would be very helpful. Or to just ask your pastor's questions. Y'all see us, some of y'all see us multiple times a week, and y'all have plenty of opportunity to ask questions. And a lot of you have our phone numbers, too. And so if you really wanted to ask a question, you could, you could ask us a question. Um, but, the, but Michelle said, are there any other books or resources that have been helpful as far as this, um, this issue of biblical manhood, biblical womanhood? Um, I'm trying to think, and now I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, books on marriage. Yeah, John, specifically on marriage, John Piper's This Momentary Marriage was a very good one. Um, kind of goes through, okay, here's how man and woman should understand the covenant of marriage and how they relate to each other in the covenant of marriage. Um, Vody Bauckham's books are always um, a slam dunk. You can never go wrong with any of his books. Um, as, as far as the, the guys go, I've, I've read a book recently. Actually, I, I read it a long time ago, but a book called It's Good to Be a Man. Yep. It kind of just goes through... Um, what it means to be a man and why being a man, right? This is something that uh, Eric spoke about. God created for the, the man and for the women. God created you as a man and or he created you as a woman on purpose. And it's a good thing that he created you that way, right? Andre, God made you a man and it's good that he made you a man. Cameron, God made you a woman and it's good that he made you a woman. And so understanding, because as of right now, a lot of what the culture wants to say is if you want to be what God purposed you to be, that's not a good thing, right? You should want to be something else. Or we tell ourselves, oh, well, God made me this way. I don't want to be that. I want to be something else. Or God tells me I should be this. I don't want to be that. I want to be something else. But it's good that God made you on purpose the way that you are as a man or as a woman. Does that make sense? And so this book is specifically going through, hey, God made you as a man and it's good that he made you as a man. Here are some things to help you understand why it's good to be a man. Does that make sense? Um, I'm trying to think of a few others. There's biblical manhood and womanhood. I think it's Piper and Grudem mm-hmm. wrote it. And also the, one of the, I mean, it's a doozy. I mean, if you're 13 and you pick that book up, you're going to want to run your head into the wall. But, um, but also you, you can go to the, the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Denny Burke uh, from Southern uh, kind of oversees that. Uh, most of the time now, but they have a lot of resources on there about biblical manhood and womanhood that you can pick up. If you're interested specifically in the issue of gender and sexuality, they just, they just released a, a, like a, almost like a study guide that you can go through. That's actually pretty good too, uh, that I, I have it and I look through it. So, but they have a ton of resources on there. Yeah. And just one thing too, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, the, you have Jesus as the great shepherd, and then you have the under shepherds, which are, you know, pastors, and that the, the congregants are the sheep. And there's a lot of wolves out there that love to devour, that are wearing sheep's clothing, wearing disguises and deceiving, you know, that's it's what we've talked about. It's what Satan loves to do. Um, it's what Satan did. Um, he talked about... Uh, one of his lessons said, Satan uses partial truth. And so there's a ton of garbage out there that's partial truth. And it's wolves, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. And we want to help protect you from that. Um, The pastors at this church want to help protect you from that. Your youth leaders want to help protect you from that. And so 
we want you to, like Drew said, we want you to read your Bible. Absolutely. Read it every day. Read it as much as you want. Um, and it's okay to read other books that help explain the Bible. But I would ask you, please, if you're not sure, come to us and say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about reading this book. What do you think about this? What do you think about this author? And we'll say, well, he's a heretic. I wouldn't read that. Um, you know, and let us help you in that. We want to help you in that. That would be a, a privilege and an honor for us to, to help you with that. And even if we don't know, right, you give us a book and you go, here, what about this book? And it's like, well, I don't know who that is, and I've never heard of this book. Best thing we could probably do is, hey, let's read it together. And if we find things that are, you know, are a no-no, then we'll, then we'll point them out. Hey, that's a no-no. Or if we get two chapters in and we're like, hey, this book is trash, then we can, we can just chunk it. We don't even have to get through the whole book. But, yeah, like Joe said, we, we want to help you with these things. And to a certain extent, we can only help you as much as you'll let us help you. And so... That's why I say, a lot of you, we see you all the time, and none of you ask any of these questions that y'all asked tonight. But y'all could ask these questions anytime you want to. Somebody, a lot of y'all have my phone number, and y'all could text me and ask me a question. I may answer it, I may not. I may just give you a one-word answer that was very unsatisfying. Yeah. But uh, I'll try to answer it later. But... I want to encourage you with this. It's just created for a purpose. That was kind of the idea of behind this is, has been said all weekend, you were created for a purpose. The Bible also says that your days, your days were numbered before there was one. God didn't make a mistake when he created you. He created you exactly the way he wanted you to. Wanted to. And you guys are inheriting an, a mad world. Um, I'm over 50. I've, I'm on the downhill side. I don't see myself living to be 104. Um, I don't have, you know, it's just a reality. That's coming. But you guys have got a lot of life ahead of you, and you're inheriting a mad world. So while your days are numbered and you've been created for a purpose, you've been created for this mad world that you are inheriting. It is not too great for you. You have been equipped with the Word of God, and He has equipped you with everything you need and the strength you will need and the guidance you will need to face this mad world that you're in. These things were science fiction when I was your age. It was just Movies were created about it, and it was not real. But you have a wealth of knowledge at your fingertips, and I bet every one of you in here have one of these, they're called smartphones, which is ironic. It's got a wealth of knowledge out there, but this world will distract you with the stuff that's on it. But it only can distract you if you allow it to distract you. While there's bad things that you can find on this, there's a wealth of good things. And to kind of go back to what these guys have said, I'd love to point you, and these guys would love to point you in in directions that there's so much good out there that you can get from these idiot devices that is not what the world is preaching. The world preaches every day, and it preaches a, world, a word contrary to what God has said. So I just wanted to encourage you, though. You guys are inheriting a crazy world, but you've been created for just that purpose. So take heart. 
I just want to say really quick, and I promise this is going to be quick. I, I appreciate you guys, uh, the opportunity to be here with you this weekend. Look, we, we, I agree with your pastors uh, on, on the things that are primary. I hope that I haven't said anything tonight that <laughs> you guys are going to have to go back and fix but, um, or go back and work through. But, you know, we agree on the things that are important. And, um, and it's an honor to be here with you. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm not good at it, but I'm on there. Um, I'll tell you, you can, you can reach out to me, uh, but I'm always first and foremost going to point you back to the leadership that God has entrusted to you. But I, I'm, I am thankful for the opportunity to be here uh, with you this weekend. And I, I, just to echo what Brad said, you need to go and live in light of the truth of the scripture, no matter what. That, that go and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself for the glory and honor of God. And if that's, if that's all you've heard all weekend, then fine, go do it. And, and the Lord will bless and the Lord will keep you. And uh, again, I, I appreciate you guys having me this weekend. Thanks. I have one more book rem- recommendation for guys. Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle is another really good one. You can find it online for free, so there's no excuse.